All right, good evening. It is good to be back and uh, look forward to our time together, uh, not only tonight, but throughout this week. And we have a great number of young people. Um, I was hearing around 112 that have registered up to this point. So really looking forward to a week of, of energetic worship. Um, I know the first Sunday evening, everybody's antsy and uh, kind of ready to, to hear the speech. Um, this evening after services, lay out all the rules and the laws and commandments of singing school um, to get that established and get to your houses, get settled, and, and look forward to a wonderful week of growing together. And I want to say the first year I ever came to singing school would have been 1997, um, and I was 17 years old, so I didn't start as young as some of you boys and, and young ladies that are here, um, but I have a lot of memories of those years. And, and some of those relationships are, are very um, important to me even to this day, and I won't tell you how old I am, but um, if you do the math, I was 17, and that was 27, 26 years ago, so, or about that, I don't know, I can't do math, so um, <laughs> it gets fuzzy after a while, but uh, this is a great opportunity for you young people to, to make friendships and connections that you will look back on years later and be thankful that you have brothers and sisters in Christ, that you spent these formative years together learning and growing and working together in the kingdom of God. And that's what this week is about. So uh, we want you to be blessed and certainly enjoy the time that we have together. Um, thankful to have the, the Craig Kill family reunion tonight. Um, I think all of his grandkids, except one, um, little Abigail is still back in Harlingen, but all of his grandkids are here. And Craig can tell you about coming to singing school when it wasn't La Prada, but I believe it was at Bruton Road and the theater seats that they had in that building. Uh, so talk to Brother Craig about his experience, but he even talks fondly about this opportunity and uh, so I hope you young people understand um, what it is that's trying to be done and, and why we're spending so much time, effort, energy, um, and resources pouring into this week. And be thankful for the congregation here at La Prada for hosting this. God is faithful. Uh, we talked about this morning. That is a declarative statement. There is no question uh, when we make that statement about God whether he is faithful or not. Now, our uh, experiences and, and things in our life that happen may cause us to question, uh, may cause us to doubt. And, and young people, I want you to understand, it's okay to have questions. It's okay when you're going through something to have the hard question come to your mind, is God really there? Because it's through that question that you can really pour yourself into the Word of God and come to a conclusive answer that He is and that He's faithful. And that his word is able to establish you so that the next time you have something hard in your life come up, guess what? You know the truth and the foundation of that principle that God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, if you haven't memorized it yet, get ready. Okay? Memorize this verse. It's not hard. It's one verse. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we talked about this morning how Paul, based upon this faithfulness of God, makes his appeal to the brethren that they would be unified and they would be one because he had heard that there were divisions among them and a lot of issues in the congregation at Corinth that he was about to write to correct them in. But he's basing that appeal to them based upon the faithfulness of God. And this morning we talked about God is faithful by his very nature. 
That it's not because man has determined that God has passed some arbitrary test of our own that has determined, yes, God is faithful. No, by his very nature of being, he is faithful. Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? And we looked at all these attributes of God. And how God is love, God is self-sufficient, eternal grace, patience, all the way down to that idea of God is holy and holy set apart from everything else. And certainly God is perfect in His faithfulness. Now tonight we're going to establish that faithfulness of God through His Word. I would like to think that we could still have handshake deals, right? Where a man's word is his what? Bond. Okay? Brother Scott Pinkerton is here. I want to tell you, Scott's a good man. I want to tell you, Scott would give you the shirt off his back. And I guarantee you, Scott would like to operate in a world where if I made a handshake deal with you, you know what? I could trust that you're going to fulfill that commitment and I'm going to fulfill mine. And we could go into this life together and work and labor and trust that each of us would be faithful in that transaction. But how often does that happen anymore? Because before we do any business agreement or have anything, guess what we got to do? We got to get lawyers involved because we got to have what? We got to have a contract. Because we don't trust that people are really going to do what they tell us they're going to do. And then based upon the breach of that contract, I can hold you accountable to either do what I need you to do or you're going to be financially responsible to pay me (laughs) because you didn't do what you told me you would do. I'll tell you, that's sad that we live in a culture today where that is the norm. I'll tell you, God is faithful simply by us looking at the word that he has spoken to us. And as we look at his inspired word that's written on the pages of our Bible today, we can come to that conclusion of God's faithfulness. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, beginning of verse 89. He says, Forever, O Lord... Your word is firmly fixed in heaven, in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants. The very creation of God is a display of his faithfulness, his consistency. Guess what? Provided the Lord doesn't come this night, guess what's going to happen tomorrow morning? The sun is going to rise. You know why? Because God in his faithfulness told it to rise. And there are systems in order that God has ordained and established that continue to happen because they are an instrument of God's faithfulness. All of God's creation, guess what, is within his control. And is an example of his faithfulness, but certainly his word, which is what? Which is firmly fixed in the heaven. You know when something is firmly fixed, what that means? It's unmovable. Do you believe the Word of God is unmovable tonight? Amen. Do you believe the Word of God is true? Do you believe the Word of God in all of what it teaches and all of what it says that we can build our life upon it and trust it as our foundation? If you tell you, if you said no, you're wrong. Okay? The answer is yes. And by the end of this study, you're going to understand why that's so important for us. 
Again, the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 155, he says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy. Now, you remember which word uh, corresponding to faithfulness, the Hebrew word, has said that we talked about this morning? Is that Hebrew word for faithfulness that corresponds with merciful or loving kindness? Oh, Lord, give me life according to your rules. Who in here likes rules? Parents, raise your hands. You like rules, don't you? I like rules. We have rules in my house. They're written on the walls. Our boys and my daughter know the rules. Guess what happens when you break a rule? There's consequences. Yeah, that's right. You get a spanking. (laughs) Now, I I don't bend my 16-year-old over anymore and whip him, but he hadn't had to have one in quite a while, and I don't think we'll have to have one this week. But guess what? I can take his phone away. And he would beg me for a spanking if that was the consequence of taking his phone away. But understand what the psalmist is saying is give me life according to your rules. I want your rules, God. I want your statutes. I want your commands because those are going to protect me. They're going to save me. And then he says, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithful their Faith, the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum, listen to this, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Forever! You know why we don't like rules? Because we feel like rules are oppressive. I want to tell you what God's rules are, our safety. God gives us laws and commands because He's God. He's not man. And He knows what's best for us. And isn't our life better when we stay within the bounds of what His Word requires? Absolutely. I want to tell you, there are blessings in being obedient to God. Now, are there rules? Yes, but they're for your protection and for your betterment. And the psalmist is crying out to God saying, Give me life according to your rules and your statutes. Now, notice what he correlates that with in a negative way. He says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. People who don't want to listen and obey God, guess what? They don't have salvation, they're wicked. Think about that. Who's he called wicked here? Those who murder, lie, steal, certainly. But he calls those that do not seek the Lord's statue. He says they're wicked. If you don't want to live by God's rules, you're considered wicked. That's what the psalmist says. Then at the end of verse 58, he says, because they do not keep your commands. God's word has commandments and laws for a purpose and a reason. And that's for our salvation and for our betterment in our life serving Him. Now, we have our Bibles, right? Everybody have a Bible? You don't have to have it out right this minute. I'm just asking. (laughs) Everybody has a Bible, right? You better not have come to singing school without a Bible. It was definitely on the list of things to bring to singing school. Right? We have a Bible. You know why we have the Bible? It's so we can read and study. 
so that we can read and study and develop faith and have a belief in someone. Who's that belief need to be in? Jesus Christ. John wrote this in John 20 at the end of his gospel, beginning of verse 30. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, the, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you believe this is the word of God? Do you believe that it's inspired of God? Do you believe everything written in it? I'll ask you this. Do you believe that a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years reached up and grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed in that instant? You really believe that? You believe that Jesus went to a grave where Lazarus had been in that tomb for three days and his body was stinking and Jesus said, come forth. And Lazarus got up in his grave clothes and walked out of that tomb. You believe that? You better. You know why? Because those miracles that Jesus did... It's by that same power that he forgives our sins today. And it's by that power that through faith in everything that the word of God says, we can live and please our creator. I want to tell you every word that's in this book, I believe it's true. And that's what I'm going to build my life upon. And I believe that's exactly what John said. Everything that's written is written so that we can have belief in who Jesus is. And through this week, I want to challenge you in your faith to understand the faithfulness of God that He's given us evidence through His Word that we can trust it. It's been verified. It wasn't just something that happened in a corner of the world and people created this story of Jesus. There are witnesses and many evidences that point to the authority and the authenticity of the writings that we have both in the Old and New Testament, that we can trust everything that the Word of God says. Romans chapter 10, beginning of verse 14, says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. Do you understand? You can't have faith in God without his word. You can't. And if you're waiting for some experience of yours to happen, you're denying the very power that God ordains to establish faith and create faith. He said it's His Word. Now, does God work in our life? Absolutely. But we have to be careful because we don't know, is this something that's providential because God is interceding into my life? Or is it time and chance? Am I happening to be in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time? I don't know those things, but what I do know is the truth of the Word of God. And through my knowledge of that truth, I can develop sincere faith. 
Not a blind belief. But faith in response to the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God. Four things that the Word of God is this evening. Number one, it's true. It's true and reliable. Now, are there things in the Bible that are spectacular? Oh, I love it when people say, oh, the Bible's boring. Really? Uh, we, we've been studying through the Old Testament, and uh, you read those accounts and those stories, and, and you read about an assassin that sticks a, a sword into the gut of a king, and the sword is swallowed up by his fat. I, that's not boring. <laughs> that's exciting. It's amazing. There's all kinds of the things people want to watch on TV <laughs> about adultery and about deceitfulness. Guess what? We have that in the Bible. Now, it's not there for our entertainment. It's there for us to learn. Don't do those things because there are severe consequences of those kinds of behaviors. The Word of God is not boring. And every part of it is true and reliable. Psalm 138, 1 and 2 says, I give you thanks, O Lord, of my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your, get it, word. Your word. What did Jesus say about the word of God? In John 17, as he's praying to his father... He prays to the Father and says what? Sanctify them, my followers, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, there's an interesting point of that. We're going to get to the conclusion of, uh, at the conclusion of our lesson, of what Jesus was talking about. But we can understand the basic principle that Jesus recognized the word of God is true and reliable and sufficient to sanctify humanity. Number two. The Word of God is full of power. God's Word has accomplished and is still accomplishing everything that He intends for it to accomplish. Now what is it that the Word of God is designed to accomplish? It's designed to enlighten. It's designed to bring about change. It's designed to be the form in which God provides salvation for mankind. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 10. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And for God to be faithful and true and honest, guess what? We have to trust that His Word is still accomplishing that today. Has the Word of God worked in your life? If it hasn't, I'm going to tell you one thing. Go read it. (laughs) Because if you tell me the Word of God is not impacting your life, you're not reading it. I beg people, read your Bibles. Study your Bibles. Brother Sammy, all week, keep asking these questions. (laughs) Keep quizzing these young people. Keep quizzing me. You know why? Because i got to get more in the Word. You've got to get into the Word. 
You're not going to obtain everything that's powerful enough to change your life and conform you to the image of Jesus just by coming to church a few times a week and coming to singing school every year. It's not enough. Read your Bibles. Young people, read the Word of God with a purpose and an intention to learn and to grow. And if you're not doing that, guess what? Your life's not going to change and you're going to be stagnant in your spirituality. Read the Word of God. John 6 and verse 63, Jesus said this, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Where did Jesus say the power was? Notice what Jesus, it wasn't in him. Did he have power? Absolutely. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He touched a leper and the leper was healed. That's the Jesus we serve. And Jesus said, the words that I speak, their life, not the miracles I do. It's the word I speak. It's what I tell you. Because you know what he could do with the words that came out of his mouth? He could forgive sins, couldn't he? And though he reached and he healed that leper, the greater deliverance for that leper to be cleansed was what? Your sins are forgiven. And Jesus would speak that word, and that word was powerful. Because that word forgave sins. And then Jesus went to a cross and ultimately sacrificed himself and shed his blood so that we would have knowledge of his love and the mercy of God to understand when we read our Bibles, those words are meaningful and purposed. And that word is powerful. Number three, God's word is full of promises. That's one of the great things about this series this week is we're going to be talking so much about God's promises. Because what is it about God's faithfulness that we really need to be concerned about? It's the promises he's made. And he's made amazing, wonderful promises to who? To us. That we get to be partakers of. Don't you want to know about those promises? Don't you want to know everything that God says He wants to give to you in your life? Don't you want to know that? Not question and wonder aimlessly hoping. No, but know what God has done and what He's going to continue to do. Then guess what? You've got to know His Word. O oh, offspring of Abraham, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that He made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac, which He confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Is that strong language committing God to something? Yes. His word commanded for a thousand generations that this is what was going to happen. He confirmed it. He swore that promise to Isaac and he confirmed it to Jacob as a law. That's how serious God is about his word and how faithful he is to fulfill it. So how should we be with our words? Look at this passage in 1 Kings 8 and verse 56. I believe this is in a dedication of the Ark of the Covenant returning um, or being put into the temple. 
And this is actually the benediction prayer of Solomon at that ceremony. Notice what he says. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promises which he spoke by Moses his servant. That's the God I want to serve. That's the God I want to give my life to. The one that has promised and not a single word has failed. Could you imagine? Because I want to tell you, we can say the truth with all good intentions and still not fulfill that promise, can't we? But God, every word He has ever said, guess what? He's fulfilled it and it's true. And in a world where there's chaos, in a world where we don't see faithfulness, in a world where we can't trust people's words, we need the Lord to build on. And because His Word is true and full of His promises, you and I can trust what He says. Number four, God's Word is the ultimate authority. Anybody ever been to Washington, D.C.? I was there just a few weeks ago. Actually walked into the Senate House and walked into Senator's offices. And I want to tell you, just the history itself, it's overwhelming. And, and, and you meet with senators and congresspeople like, wow, these men and women, man, they have a lot of authority. <laughs> they meet in, in meetings and, and then they get together and they vote and, and they write legislation. And, and then that legislation filters down and, and I have to live according to that. They're pretty powerful people. You know what? They're just people. (laughs) Yeah, they've been given authority because we have elected them to certain offices to represent us in our government. But they're just people. And they get to write laws and statutes that we submit to, but they're just people. They really don't have any ultimate authority. Which is why we pray if our government ever tries to impress laws upon us that are contrary to the word of God, that we're going to submit to a higher authority, which is who? Which is God. Just like our brethren did throughout the first century. And you sit there and say, well, I'm glad we're not in that state. It may be coming quicker than you think. And we may have tough decisions to make as God's people, but let's be reminded that let God be true and every man a liar. Let's build upon the one that has ultimate authority over our life and being. And that's God, and we can find that in his word. Jesus said this as he was tempted by Satan. Now remember, Jesus was baptized of John. He, he goes out into the desert for 40 days. He's fasted, hadn't eaten or drinking for 40 days. Satan comes to him and tempts him, right? What was the first temptation that Satan perpetuated upon Jesus? Hey, you're hungry? I know y'all are hungry. (laughs) Y'all have burgers in a minute. Chill out, okay? (laughs) I need to talk to this side a little bit. Um, (laughs) Boys are always hungry. Uh, Girls are too, I know. Uh, Y'all just don't eat in front of people. So um, anyway, back to what we're talking about with Jesus, right? So he says, turn... 
you're, if you're the Son of God, you have this power and authority, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. What did Jesus say? He answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus understood what sustained him was not bread. What sustained him was the word of God. And you and I have the same access to the same life-sustaining, powerful word that we can feast upon, that we need to hunger and thirst after, just as we would if we didn't eat or drink for 40 days, and how good would a, a loaf of bread seem? But Jesus denied that and said, it's more important that I serve and I listen to the word of God. And, and then we think about Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, as he talks about the word of God being God-breathed. And he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, uh, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you believe that what we have in our Bible today is Scripture was breathed out by God? Yes, men wrote these things down, but we need to understand the ultimate author and authority is God. And as we read the words that are on those pages and the stories and the accounts and the commandments and the laws, what are we reading? We're reading what God wants us to know. We're reading something that He breathed and gives to us so that we would know His laws, we would know His commandments, and He could safely lead us back to Him. So tonight, God's Word is true, it's full of power, it's full of His promises, and it's the ultimate authority. So let's go back to this idea of this Word. In John chapter 1... The first three verses of John's gospel. What does John write? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Made through who? The Word. So God utilized the Word in what? In the creation. Do we agree with that? Go back and read the accounts of creation in the first few chapters of Genesis. God said, let there be light, and there was light. How did God create everything? He spoke, and His Word was powerful enough to create something from nothing. That's power. And John confirms that. It says, all things were made by the Word of God, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then we get even more insight to this word and the power that it had and what it represented in verse 14 of the same chapter. The word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is the manifestation of the word. <laughs> Jesus didn't just exist when he was born in a manger, guess what? He's God. There is no beginning and end to Jesus. Now, before he was in a bodily form, guess what he was known as? The Word. 
get through the Old Testament, you see the angel of the Lord. (laughs) And there are references there that I believe are speaking to that same person or being of the Godhead. And it's that word that came in flesh so that you and I could have a connection with what was powerful enough to create all things. You talk about humility. You talk about Jesus humbling himself and putting on flesh, taking the form of a body, because he had existed forever as the word of God. So is God's word powerful? It's powerful because it was the power of creation, but it's also powerful because that's who Jesus is. John 14, verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring these all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. So Jesus had all authority. And what did Jesus say? I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit's going to bring to your remembrance everything that I've taught you. And then guess what they were going to do? Through that knowledge and that remembrance, they were going to write things down. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So guess what we see? We see a chain of authority that I can look at my Bible today and I can trace it back through its truths to find the ultimate source and giver of this inspired word. And guess who it is? It's God. God the Father sent Jesus. Jesus died and sent the Holy Spirit that we just read about that would remind them of everything that he had taught them. And then those holy men inspired of the Holy Spirit would write these things down. And as they wrote those things down, they've been preserved through generations. The manuscript evidence is overwhelming. (laughs) If you want to study apologetics and look at the reliability of the writings of the New Testament and Old Testament, it can stand literary criticism. It can pass the bibliographical test that we would assign to it to verify that it's accurate and we can trust what it says. But more than a work of literature penned by man, it is inspired of God to save our souls. So tonight, do you trust the power and the faithfulness of God displayed through His Word? If you don't, I plead with you to change your heart and change your mind. John 15 and verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean, notice what Jesus says here, through the word which I have spoken unto you. Jesus said it was his word that he spoke that had the power to what? To cleanse. Who? His disciples. 
who are needing to go out and do the work. And tonight, Jesus is accessible to us. Jesus is real. And our Lord and our Savior, though he was put on a cross and murdered, and though his body was put in a tomb, did not stay there. And you know where Jesus is today? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And you know what? He's looking over his people and his kingdom. And he's looking for souls who need to repent of their sins and come to him. And to those people, he gives a great invitation. He offers a cleansing and a washing of the water by the word. And he gives that invitation to you tonight. He says, come you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You need Jesus. You need peace. You need forgiveness. Trust in the faithfulness of God and submit to his will in baptism. Because it's that washing of the water by the word. It's what happens when we're born again of the water and spirit and added to the body of Christ. And Jesus, or through the New Testament, teaches us that principle. And he even himself submitted, guess what, to be a part of that example. And if you need that tonight, take advantage of this invitation. Don't leave here questioning, doubting, but leave here affirmed in your faith and your trust in God, for He Himself is faithful. Trust His Word, submit to His authority, and tonight, be buried in baptism with your Lord, or come and ask for prayers, as together we stand and sing. Save you, though your sins as crimson glow, if you give your heart to Jesus.